Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you, gentlemen. We are sufficiently quarantined in our own respective offices, as we usually are Jesus for recording Christ. these podcasts. I do not mean to make light of the seriousness of coronavirus. Yes, I, I am, you do. I am, not, <laughs> I am not making light of this whatsoever. It really is a scary thing. But we're we're going to talk about this because like, all of a sudden, this became a, like, a big freaking story that's going to follow... UCF sports all the way around for the next like couple months here. I mean, maybe I don't know. Are, are you guys are you guys satisfactorily prepared? I can't know. I can't believe you couldn't wait three seconds into the show before poking into the coronavirus niche. It's uh, the first thing that's on everybody's mind here, man. It's like we got basketball tournaments getting getting canceled. Like you know, we're having. You know, basketball tournaments with no no fans, baseballs might be a fa- it's it's weird, man. Anyway, so <clears throat> we got a lot to talk about with that. Um, we will uh, preview the men's basketball tournament uh, coming up, uh, assuming, of course, that I, I hate saying this. Assuming, of course, that there is one. We don't know. We're right now. We're recording this on Tuesday night, March the tenth. The tournament begins in thirty six hours, and um, and. And we've seen nothing from the American just yet that we're, that they're going to cancel, obviously, or, or adjust it somehow. Obviously, the Ivy League canceled their tournament, but that's the Ivy League. They do weird crap all the time. Um, we'll just preview the basketball for it. And then if something happens, just like, I'll give you the timestamps in the description. Just just fast forward to that. Uh, we're going to talk about women's what? basketball. Wow. Um, what, a, what, a, what a promo. I know. Well, I mean, look, it's, it's a podcast. We can, This you know, is... This is the best intro we've ever had. I'm sure it is. Uh, we'll talk about women's basketball uh, and, man, uh, that crushing loss in the semifinals of the American. Can they get into the NCAA tournament? Eric's got the full breakdown. Uh, segment uh, In the third segment, we're going to talk about baseball. Uh, again, in the rankings, they got, a, uh, they got a, uh, a series coming up with Yale this weekend. Uh, and uh, we'll also talk about softball out west in California for uh, spring break, um, wrecking as many things as they can find uh, in sight. But tonight, boys, we begin with some, well, kind of breaking news. It broke earlier this afternoon. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday, March the 10th. Danny White is going to be sticking around for at least the foreseeable future as the vice president and director of athletics at the University of Central Florida. He signed a new five-year contract with a one-year rollover clause. Uh, the, uh, rel- the pertinent details are as follows, and we have to give credit to two guys who had this first, Joe Kepner of WFTV and obviously, of course, Brandon Helwig of uh, UCFSports.com who actually posted the, um, the terms of the contract um, on his site. Um, White's salary is one point starts at one point zero eight one million dollars per year, uh, two hundred thousand of which is paid for by the University of Central Florida itself. The rest of it, um, eight hundred k plus, is paid for by UCF athletics through donations, private donations, and whatnot. He gets a five percent salary increase every year on May eleventh. Um, Tickets, $900 a month toward a car, skybox of football and basketball, membership to Interlock and Country Club. Uh, By the way, here's some interesting terms on the contract. Uh, If UCF's annual conference distributions, payments from the conference, increase by $20 million or more dollars compared to 2017-18 levels, 
white salary will go up by an additional $1 million a year. In other words, if UCF gets to a power conference, uh, Mm -hmm. Danny White sees his salary nearly double. Uh, The buyout, this is what everybody is is obviously interested in knowing because there's performance incentives for... You know, uh, for team performance and attendance and donations and the whole nine. Here's the buyout. It starts at two and a half million dollars if he leaves UCF on or before May 11th, 2021. So one year from now. It then goes down by two hundred and fifty thousand dollars each year until 2025, after which it stays at one point five million dollars so a steep but not overly steep buyout certainly not josh heupel's buyout um his uh performance incentives are capped at 25 percent of his base salary uh so in other words if he's making you know one 1.8 1.081 million dollars a year uh based on incentives he can't get more than you know one probably in the range of like 1.3 million if you do the math, or 1.25 to 1.3 million in the next year. And it goes up 5% each year on May 11th. So so here, so this, here's what I, here's my initial take on this. And, and Eric, I want to get your take on this first. What this, now UCF is in the middle of a president search. And what this contract does is cement Danny White's seat next to whoever the new president is. Mm-hmm. And that's big because, you know, how we always talk about how, you know, people in charge want to put their people in other in other positions in charge of other things. Danny White ain't going nowhere, no matter who UCF hires as the president. Is that what is is that is that what your impression on this, too? Yeah, I would say so. I think that's fair. I think, it, you know, that kind of, in my opinion, certainly uh, would be fair. Uh, at least kind of squash any speculation, you know, which is smart. By the way, I mean, he also has earned it. He's done, he's done a pretty yeah. good job. I mean, regardless of who the president would be, right? Like, what president would be dumb? Like, yeah, I don't think I want to work with you as my AD. Like, oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, that that's certainly – I would argue about that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say that that's a big part of this, probably to squash any of that speculation, if there was any speculation – with the situation, obviously, we don't know when we're going to have a new president for the university, which um, you know has been ongoing and uh, certainly is very important. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, what do you think, Murph? I think when I saw the news break today, I was like, yes, fine. Like, I, I, that wasn't that I had forgotten about. Like, like we there had been some rumors and some whispers, like, could we lose Danny White to this school or – could he be interested in this job? Yeah, you're welcome and for I, that. I was, Me going on Twitter, every, tweeting out every AD opening that pops up. Anyway, <laughs> I live on I live on Twitter, Jeffrey. I can't <laughs> escape it. But and and then I saw this, and uh, I, I immediately thought of all of those rumors and how all of that now is done. We can move on from that. And like Eric said, like if you look at what Danny has done with his coaching hires, he has a near Midas touch. With the person, the, the people he is he is hired to lead uh, certain athletic programs in, in, in this university, and so but beyond deserving, obviously. But my 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 thing is, I'm just glad that he's not going to be involved in any rumors uh, going forward over you know other AD openings. 
Uh, here's an interesting point that I wanted to write, and then we'll move on from this because uh, I'm still writing up with some of the details and going through the contract. You can see it on uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com, hopefully in the next uh, 12 to 24 hours. But um, All right, so uh, $1.081 million a year um, puts him square. Now, the, the latest data we have about how that compares to other athletic directors is, is from 2017-2018. Um if you look back at that and you look under and you and you sort them by total compensation, we see Scott Strickland at the University of Florida making $1.080 million per year as of 2017-2018. So it looks like they just kind of stuck it in Florida's craw just a little bit to get him above Scott Strickland. Now, I, I, obviously, I, we have every reason to believe that Scott Strickland's probably making more than that in 2019-2020. But bottom line is this clearly puts Danny White in the top 15, again, of ADs we know, because most private schools, they don't reveal that information. So Notre Dame does. Jack Swarbrick's the highest paid that we know of at $3 million a year. But among the salaries that we know, mostly big public schools, your Alabamas, your Ohio States, your Texases, Danny White's right there in the top 15, right up there with Phil Fulmer and Hunter Urechek at Arkansas, Bub Cunningham at North Carolina, Bill Moss at Nebraska, um, Dan Guerrero at UCLA. Um, it, it, now again, that's from 2017, 2018. Some of those jobs have obviously shifted over, but um, that that makes it pretty clear that UCF is committed to keeping, obviously keeping Danny White, but also making sure that everybody knows that they're competitive in this world of uh, of athletic directors, this ever expanding world of athletic director salaries. Which, you know, I mean, it, what signal does that send, Murph? What do you think? About the salary, yeah, that they love him, like, <laughs> uh, like that's true. Huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I, I mean, maybe they thank him, but it's sort of like the madman, the madman line of, of like when the secretary comes in and says, you know, a thank you would be nice. Yeah, and John Ham's character responds, that's what that's what the money is for. Right. Like, uh, you know, I mean, he's a he's a rich man because he's good at what he does, and his position is very meaningful to a large university. Like, I don't understand, like, that's the signal. I I, I don't don't know that, that there's anything, like, there's some big reason to this. Like, isn't that kind of just understood? Yeah. Well, I mean, to me it is, right? I mean, but it's, it's just interesting to compare because, like, you know, UCF is really putting their, I mean, the, at least the university and the athletic and the board and the, the board of the athletic association they're they're literally putting their money where their mouth is they want to be yeah, a top 25 athletic it's, department well he's well they're paying their ad a top 25 salary so is scott strickland now going to ask for a raise probably yeah so okay <laughs> fine I'm, I'm, i you know i don't really care who gets paid more or i'm sure i'm sure their agents do but i yeah. really don't care uh uh you know it's but it's nice to ucf obviously making a big commitment to somebody who Beyond deserves it. Uh, is great at his job, you know. And just, you know, I mean, what else do you want me to say? I, you know, yeah, good for him. All right, so uh, let's move forward. Uh, got that out of the way. It's time for men's basketball, and we're going to look at the American Athletic Conference basketball championship, which is uh, in a new venue uh, this year uh, at the brand new arena that they built over in Fort Worth. Um, Dickies Arena, Dickies Arena, yeah, Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, which is, which by the way, is beautiful. 
I mean, have you seen that place? I will see it soon. I know. He's going to well, see it there. Hopefully. That's why he's going. <laughs> I, I would just say if you guys seen any pictures here. Like, it's um, – we're going to talk about the basketball here um, at Dickey's Arena. And uh, the tournament begins with UCF on Thursday, March the 12th, playing USF. It's the 9-8 game, 1 p.m. Eastern time on ESPNU. Um, the four teams that got the buys were the one-seed Cincinnati, two-seed Houston, three-seed Tulsa, four-seed Wichita State. So, well, let's well let's just call this what it is here, okay? You know, UCF basketball, a good end to the season on Senior Day. Um, you know, finishing up with two consecutive wins. Obviously, the three-point nail biter against SMU, where they nearly blew another tremendous lead. Um, but then the uh, game against East Carolina, the nice win by 32 points to finish out the regular season. Uh, Darren Green hit 23 in that game, set the new uh, freshman uh, record for most threes in the game. Shout out to Ben Stout, who didn't set the record, but actually asked me about it. And and I pass it over to you there. Um, so UCF ends regular season at 16 and 14, uh, 7 and 11 in the conference. Murph, it's a good wrap. A, 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 it's certainly a heartening wrap to a rather frustrating regular season, though. Yeah, it's their, it was their best game of the season. And I, I think Johnny Dawkins will tell you the same thing. Offensively, defensively, uh, it was their best performance. Uh, offensively, we've never seen them, one, shoot that well. I believe they were 15 for 29 from three-point range. Yeah, uh, It's like I say, you know, if you make shots, you're going to win games. We don't need to do a ton of analysis. Hashtag to analysis. That. Uh, right? But it's true. I mean, there's going to be a team pot probably in this tournament coming up that's going to get hot all of a sudden uh, shooting-wise, and all that analysis doesn't mean much uh, if you can't make shots. So, you know, UCF hit, hit a lot of shots, played good defense, really passed the ball well. I mean, 24 assists. It wasn't like they were just getting lucky on those assists. A lot of those assists came off of just smart passes, guys who were, you know, kind of already open. Uh, dropping it off to guys who are even more open. Uh, that sharing of the ball is going to be critical. It's something that we really haven't seen consistently from this offense. So, you know, I don't know if I buy the sort of intangible traits of momentum and what momentum can do you do for you in the in you know after two games. What you know, how does that carry over? How does those two games carry over after a, a, a season's worth of inconsistency and disappointment? Like, I don't want to overrate these two games. They well now they're on the right track. Maybe it's just two good. Maybe it's just like really two good games, or really one half good games, because that second half at SMU was was rough. Uh, and then maybe we'll see how they do against SMU. Uh, we'll see how they do against USF. Is it better than going to Fort Worth? Uh, you know, winning than on a losing streak? Yeah, probably. You feel better about yourself. You see why you win, what you need to do to win. Um, but I also don't want to get too caught up in the momentum angle of it all, which I mean can really. I mean, for one of these teams. Both these teams, USF and UCF, are saying how they feel great right now because USF has won three out of four. UCF's won the last two. So the angle for both teams, you can say it is, you know, oh, these teams got momentum. They're going, they're going to turn with, with momentum. Well, for one of those teams, that angle is going to be completely shot by about the two o'clock on Thursday. That, what do we expect from this game? Because I mean, obviously, everyone talks about like the rivalry and and, and you know all that, and and, and now there's a ter- now there your seasons are on the line. Both of these teams, obviously, the only way they can get to any sort of postseason is if they make a serious 
run um ncaa they uh, uh, is they win the tournament obviously NCAA. i don't know i don't know what their situation would be for any of the lesser tournaments but uh, yeah it's the but it, what sort of intensity level are you expecting to see from this game on thursday i think there's going to be pretty high intensity and actually parties on both sides have mentioned that already brian greg brian gregory the head coach at, at uh, usf you know, talked on Monday in a conference call about how he does expect he expects there to be a little extra edge in this game, and and Colin Smith said that the rivalry, the you know Warren Eiffel rivalry, does bring a little extra intensity to this matchup. So, what is already a tense, uh, you know, all-out sort of uh, do or you know do or die atmosphere is going to be ratcheted up a little bit on Thursday because these teams naturally are in-state rivals. Uh, I don't, I I think you know, obviously in the end that rivalry doesn't matter as much as just surviving and advancing, right? So yeah. it's about which team plays better. And there's certain things that UCF needs to do, uh, namely controlling the ball, uh, uh, valuing possessions, not letting um, not letting themselves get harassed by USF's defense the, that they need to do in order to win. Eric, let me ask you about going around the conference here and seeing how this whole thing sets up. It's, Cincinnati is the obvious favorite, but they feel like, you know, I mean, obviously UCF are beat them. Are they, are they are? Well, they are the number one. They are the number one seed. Uh, I, now I picked yeah. Houston to win it. I, I think Houston. I think this is this is Kelvin Sampson's year. Houston um, is the betting favorite. Uh, they, yeah, they are the betting favorite. I. We got odds for if you got odds. What do we got here? What do we got? What is, I what don't have odds on my on my fingertips, but I have seen them get the best odds. I don't know the exact odds right now. All right, I'll go find. Okay. It. But in the meantime, Eric. Give me your thoughts on this. What do you think of the, the tournament field in general? How, who does this bracket break down the best for? I don't think there's a such thing as that. Not this year. I mean, we've talked about this repeatedly on the podcast. Murph and I have repeatedly said nothing is for sure in this tournament, right? Nothing in this league has been a given. I mean, mm -hmm. we've seen just about everything in this league. We've seen blown leads of 24 points. We've seen a team blow, what, a nine-point? Was it SMU blew a, what, a nine-point lead with, like, 30 seconds to go, Murph? I mean, it's just... SMU, SMU, SMU was ahead of USF by seven points with 25 seconds left and lost that game in regulation. Man. Yeah. So you just don't know. I think that's the thing. I mean, if, if it continues from the regular season's aspect, I expect an unpredictable tournament. I mean, from a UCF perspective, if you can get by USF, which I think we agree, Murph, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I don't. I'd yeah. be surprised, especially being the first game in a building you've never played before. Historically, teams tend to struggle when you're playing in a new arena. Big de deal there. So I wouldn't be surprised if the magic number in this game is somewhere in fifty to fifty-five point range uh, that could decide this game. Uh, no, I but I think. Go ahead. You agree with that? No, completely. It's going to be a very muddy sort of. You know, hey, let's. Let's say it again. Let's bring up the term rock fight. Uh, it is. It's going to be that. And also, you bring up a good point, Eric, a point that I don't think enough people – I think people kind of underrate. But when you're shooting in a new building, the background of that hoop does matter because that's in your field of vision. And it takes a while to get comfortable with that if it's a, for a, a, to a, a, brand new, a brand new background. You've seen this happen a lot at Final Fours where teams are playing in these big arenas – big 60,000 seat stadiums they never played in before and all of a sudden neither team can shoot I think some of that has to do with just the new atmosphere the new basket background it does sort of have an, an effect on shooters 
Yeah, you sure I, it's I, not I, nerves, though? I, so what? You sure it's not nerves, though? Is that really what it is? There could no. be some of that, but I, I really do think for shoot for shooters, I mean, guys are airballing shots. I mean, it may be ner- I, I really do think it's part of just the surroundings. Yeah, I guarantee I expect a tweet from Murph at some point on Thursday where, quote, Team Blank is shooting 25% and hasn't scored in four and a half minutes or something <laughs> like that instead, right? I mean, it's just going to happen. But here's the thing. If they can get past USF, I think they have a shot against Cincinnati. They beat them the, you know, the last time where they were more shorthanded, beat them in a classic double overtime game. Cincinnati is the perfect is very fitting. It's the one seed. They're cap- you know, they're capable of beating the top team, but they're also capable of losing anybody in this league. Uh, they've shown that. They've lost to Tulane, they've lost to UCF. So, I actually think that's not a bad draw for UCF. The problem is I look at the 4-5 situation with respect to Tulane. Uh, you got Wichita State and Connecticut, both of them, which hypothetically I think are terrible matchups for UCF. I'll, gri- I'll give Murph credit for this. He's been on the UConn bandwagon for about close to a month now. You kind of saw this coming from UConn. I know you like them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Wichita State, we have talked about in nauseam. They're a bad matchup for UCF. So uh, I think that's kind of where the UCF run ends. But, you know, this is a wide open field with so many interesting storylines. Cincinnati is the number one seed, but they're not a guarantee to make the NCAA tournament. They probably have to get to the final just to feel good about getting into the tur- the, the NCAA tournament. I think Wichita State, what do they have to do to get to the NCAA tournament? Do they have to get to the final? Mm-hmm. Uh, Houston, I think, is the only team that I think is a lock to be in the field. Tulsa has to win the tournament to get in. And I think Memphis, who's a sixth seed, is capable of making a run. I actually like the Memphis draw, Murph. Uh, Blaine East Carolina first, and then they get Tulsa. I think they can get to the semifinals against Houston and really become in the conversation whether they can backdoor into the tournament. So I, I think there's just a, a lot of unpredictability here. The, the interesting point on that too, Eric, is uh, Memphis, you said, was the sixth seed. They have, According to SportsInsider.com, they have the fourth best odds. Houston's the leader at two to one. Cincinnati eleven four. Uh, Wichita four to one. Memphis nine to two. Tulsa is at six to one. Mm-hmm. And then UConn at twelve to one. So they're putting they're putting a lot of stock in Memphis there at, at uh, four and a half to one. No Murph. Yeah, I, I think they're sort of just riding on their talent, right? Like even without DJ Jeffries, even without James Wiseman, uh, they still have uh, you know you know uh, um, Precious Achua, who's going to be a lottery pick. They have a bunch of high, high, highly regarded guards and shooters. For Memphis, it's going to come down to two things, ball control and, again, shot making. But for them, it's shot making because Achua is your force down low. He's outstanding on the break. He's a, he's, he's a monster. But when this team gets down, when this team turns the ball over too much, uh, which I fear they might do certainly in a, in a neutral court environment where they, where they don't play as well away from home, uh, they're going to need to make shots, and their guards can be really inconsistent shooting the ball. Um, I do worry about that. But you're right, Eric. I, 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 and those odds make sense because among the teams that are getting the buys, Tulsa is by far the most vulnerable. Um, and it's not, you know, look, this is a team that if things had broken in a different way on Sunday, this past Sunday, they would have won the conference outright. If they had beaten Wichita State yeah. on Sunday – which they would have won it outright. They would have been the number one seed alone. Yeah. Uh, but they're vulnerable because of, uh, I think, one thing. Their defense is fantastic. It's great. They, they swarm you. It's really difficult to, to play against it. They don't have a dude. They don't have a guy. 
I mean, Martin Zabagnu has been good down down low, but they don't have a dude who can take over a game. They don't. Uh, Houston has like two of them. Uh, certainly Cincinnati has one. Memphis has one. Wichita State might have one. I'm not sure. Uh, definitely UConn has one, which is why I love UConn and Christian Vital. You need those kind of guys to win you tournament basketball games, and I don't see that from Tulsa. I think their offense can go stagnant for long periods of time. And if Memphis is hitting from outside, if that matchup happens and Memphis is hitting from outside, Memphis has a really good chance in that game. Yeah. the uh, it's By the way, if you want some additional odds on this um, and you want to figure out what UCF is, by the way, 50 to 1. So. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get yourself well, get yourself uh, to Vegas right away. <laughs> uh, let, let's let's address the uh, the kind of perplexing news that came out. They announced some of the awards on Tuesday. I think they did the all conference awards, and then the all freshman teams, and then I guess yep. Wednesday is when they will announce the coach of the year and the player of the year. So I want to ask you about that as well, Murph. But Darren Green not making all freshman team in the league. What uh, what happened? Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You had two Houston guys I, and two I Memphis guys get in. Uh, they, they thought they thought James Wiseman was going to be. They should just put James. James <laughs> right. On. Yeah. Oh crap! What we forgot Wiseman? Oh wait, he's not. Oh, never mind. Wiseman, he's not here anymore. Uh, yeah. No, I think I think the I think the conference looked at him as too much of a one-dimensional player, and I think discredited him discredited him wrongly. Really discredited him wrongly. Uh, I'm not going to name guys he should have been over, you know, on the team over then. That's that's unfair to them. But certainly, I mean, I I, I do look at that, at that five, and there's certainly some guys who deserve it bar none. There are a couple of guys there if you want to break down numbers and go like, I'm not exactly sure why Darren Green isn't on that team over this guy. Uh, and I think Darren got the short trip because they just saw him as an outside shooter and nothing more. And even if you want to make that argument, he had the best shooter. He, he was – one of the best shooters is in the league, so I mean, I, it just it's it is it's hard to swallow uh, uh, that reasoning. But you know, it is what it is. It's something we'll forget about in a few weeks and and move on. But in the moment, it does sting. He deserved a spot. He should have gotten on. Precious yeah. Achua, who was on that all freshman team, was a unanimous choice for the first team all conference. That yes. would lead us to believe he'll win Player of the Year in the league. Do you, do you have any issues with that? And then I would think Frank Hayes will lead, be the coach of the year considering Tulsa was picked 10th before the year started and they finished nearly, you know, they got a share of the regular season title. Do, do you believe that's how the award should go? Well, obviously Frank Hayes is going to win coach of the year. They basically do that all. It's like coach of the year at any sport. You look at what the preseason thought about them and you look at their end results and you sort of match up the difference and whoever has the biggest difference, that wins the coach of the year. Um, so, yeah, I agree that's going to happen. I, and I agree Precious Achua – uh, is the player of the year. You look at what he meant to Memphis just in terms of his possession rate, his efficiency, his rebounding is phenomenal. He's blocking everything underneath the sun. Uh, he's a complete player down low. I mean, and he can run the break. He can run the fast break like nobody's business. He's he's tremendous. There's a reason why he's a lottery pick. And, and yeah, I do believe that he gets it over probably someone like Jaron Cumberland. Yeah. Um, we'll get to picks for the tournament in this in a second but first i just wanted to also pass along ucf by the way is a uh is a one point underdog to south florida at, oh, according to oh, odd shark um <clears throat> the uh by the uh real quick i i told you guys earlier houston's my pick who you guys got for the for winning the uh tournament 
Houston's a smart pick because they're the best team and they have a great coach. But I can't see the best team winning this tournament. That wouldn't make any sense. Like, yeah, Alex, that would really still be so. It would make like, perfect like, sense. Right? What are you talking about? <laughs> it would, no, it wouldn't. If you follow this conference with any shred of like like observance, you'd know this conference has no idea what it is. This conference, as I've said many, many, many times, is drunk every <laughs> night. It's a college drunk. kid like on a Friday every single time it gets on the court. It just don't you don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, so I, I, you know, Houston's the fine pick. It's probably the best pick because they are the best team. I'll ride or die with the Connecticut Huskies. It's a great story. It's a great story with them leaving the conference and like, if, what did they leave the conference with the trophy and like give a middle number to a the number the five seed? They awesome. would have to win four games in four days. You down with that? So you heard about Kim, You know who Kimball Walker? You know who Kimball Walker? Yeah. So that's a that's that's a lot of that's a long that's a long time ago, my man. Yes, I am unfortunately very familiar with Kemba Walker. Yes, I'm telling you, I, I want to hear Kemba Walker and Christian Vital's name in the same sentence forty times this week. Oh, I think it boy. could happen. He's a he he's an absolute monster. He's a killer. He wants to slit your throat. I love Christian Vital. Connecticut-Memphis uh, final would, I mean, would probably that would be, be fun for this year, right? Wouldn't it? Like this that would be a, a bit. That would be a fun game. Totally fun. Could I also see Memphis losing in the first round because they don't play well with the home? Absolutely. Like I could see anybody losing in the first round, like in the first. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, poor so Jaden Gardner. Jaden Gardner down to the second team because he has nothing around him. He gets punished because he has nothing around him. Even though he might arguably make a case, he's one of the best players in the league. Mm. No, it's true. I mean, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a huge force. Um, unfortunately, he needs to play better defense. You saw that against Sunday, like, bro, hustle. Uh, my my anyway. bold prediction, Murph, on your UConn deal is there's Errol Hebner is going to be the ref at some point during this tournament, and Dan Hurley's eyes are going to blow up as UConn gets <laughs> ousted. Over, over, under on Danny Hurley technical fouls at this tournament. Yeah, free throws yeah, at this right. marriage. <laughs> I, I, uh, I am worried uh, in that in so far as uh, their matchup. Like I'll, I'll just go Connecticut without even knowing, looking at the bracket, even though I know the bracket. I am concerned with Connecticut's second round matchup against Wichita State. Uh, that's not a great matchup for them. The way they press and the way they run, uh, they're they're much better, well coached. Greg Marshall is an amazing coach. That's probably not the best matchup for for Wichita State. Also with with Jamie Etchegani Echenique, thank you. There you go. Uh, down low, there's no one really that uh, I would trust for Connecticut to really stop him on the block. So there's that. Um, so my, this could all go up in smoke by Friday. But <laughs> I've fully believed for a long time, that, and this has been borne out true, you need good, experienced guards to win games. And they have – well, we know they have one in Christian Vital. Altari Gilbert has been, uh, you know, kind of limited in the last couple months. He's played – reserve role and looks kind of renewed in the reserve role and when he gets clicking he's a, he can fill it up and I obviously James Bo James Bunite as the, the freshman uh it compliments Vital by also possibly adding 20 points per game what they ever get from their forwards that's gravy but if this is an, if this is a, an outside perimeter game I, I love the Huskies and the big I mean I, I really could I mean in this conference I could definitely see them winning this this tournament because again this tournament this this whole conference is stupid. It lost its mind back in November when uh, when Cincinnati lost to Colgate. 
So it doesn't matter anymore. <sighs> I can't believe you, Murphy. Like, Eric, agree, Eric, what do you we agree what, on? What, we agree six teams can win this tournament. Yeah, something like that. that yeah. yeah, yep. All to, I, I would say all top four seeds plus uh, UConn and Memphis, definitely. So, Eric, who do you got? Yeah, I think I had the same six. I I, I did have Tulsa there, and I, I think, think we we kind of quibbled on we quibbled on SMU, but uh, I don't trust their I don't trust their defense at all. Um, I got Wichita State winning it. Uh, I think that crowd's going to take over Fort Worth. Um, I think they they are a good crowd. And they, they travel they so well; it's a tremendous credit yep. to them, you know. I mean, Murph and I saw it up close in Orlando. I, I think they'll travel. I think they will have the. I mean, here's a bonus prediction: I think they will have the best fan support in Fort Worth, which I think is an interesting storyline uh, that we Murph to follow is uh, how many you know how many fans who's representing who from each school in Fort Worth right. of all places. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go Wichita State over Houston, although I think Memphis has a shot to get to the final. It wouldn't shock me if Memphis is in there and everybody's like, oh boy, they could steal a bid and it causes chaos on Selection Sunday. But I'm going to go Wichita State over Houston. Over under Calvin Sampson takes off the jacket 25 seconds. Uh, we we got to play that game during the tournament, Murph, online. You're going to have to give me the, the over-unders I mean, on that. You know, it's you gonna be know, fun. You know Joseph Duarte is right on that. Like He's on yeah. – He's on Kelvin watch every single second. I'll, I'll mention one thing about the Shockers that I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Not only the fan support, they will have the most fan support. Even with this thing being played in Texas, even with Houston's fan base, which is really good, there will be more yellow in that stadium than anything else, obviously. Remember last year, Wichita State was a completely re- rebuilding team with a, bunch of, with a bunch of new guys, new scholarship players. They had like one or two seniors, and like, like, they were like UCF. They had like nine new players. I was going to say, that they sounds familiar. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is. They came in as, I believe, the sixth seed, and they advanced all the way to the semifinals and almost knocked off Cincinnati as the two seed in the semis. Uh, and that was with a team that was far, far, far worse than the team that Greg Marshall has this year. So I'd only, certainly not be shocked yes. at which they wins. It's only 356 miles Wichita, Kansas, to Fort Worth. So um, five-hour drive. Can, yeah, I think they can handle that very well. Uh, on that, by the by the way, props to us in our preseason basketball preview show. Jeff, you gave the uh, the over under and UCF finish in the regular season eight. That was your over under. Well, it turned out to be a push. They finished eighth. Uh, Murph, you said UCF's range. I actually listened to the episode archive because uh, we archive all our episodes. Make sure. And we also right. hold ourselves accountable, unlike some podcasts. Anyway, go ahead. That's right. Oh, whoa. Uh, Murph, you said the cap for UCF was seven to eleven range, as far yeah. as the, you know, the best they can do and the worst. They kind of finish eighth. I think we hit that. I, yeah. I said six to eight range, so they kind of hit. You know, we'll see what happens in this tournament, but I think they've kind of hit where we everybody thought they would hit. So they are who we thought they were, <laughs> right? And if they can win this game against USF, even if they lose to Cincinnati, I still think it's a successful season. Considering they had a winning season, I think you like some of the fresh new the Aaron Green, what he's got brings to the table among others, and we'll get into that more next time. But I just wanted to point that out as I did listen to the episodes uh, in our preseason picks. Obviously, we all whiffed on Memphis. How do we know that James Wiseman wasn't going to play? Um, I won't, <laughs> I won't, go, I won't go into more. I won't go into much more detail or some of the other picks we made. Because, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, there was that U- there was that USF pick Murph that that got uh, blown hey. up what oh. like literally thirty minutes after we ended the podcast. This pick was made 
right the day before Alexis Getna's knee decided to retire from basketball. God, oh. yeah. Yeah, what can you foreshadow that in your future? What can you do? Prognostication. Yeah. Uh, well. A win gives yeah. a win gives UCF a seventeen and fourteen record, and um and and they're, well they're they're unless they get to one of these somehow get to one of these uh well no I mean they they will finish above five hundred so um. Real quick, Murphy, do you think there's any chance they get into CBI, NIT, any of that stuff? Uh, so they will not get the NIT, no, uh, because they're not good enough. And they won't win the tournament, so they won't get the NCAA. And they're not going to pay to get into CBI, so no. Isn't there another one? Yeah, you you pay to get into that one, too. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, all right. Chipping in the bill, Jeff. You chipping in the the bill for that? No, no. I'm I'm a little I'm a little tapped out at the moment. I just got back from vacation. Um, I, the, I can't tell you. I'm looking at DRating.com. It does do NIT projections, and we're not even listed. So yeah. The uh, so uh, again, UCF and USF tip off 1 p.m. on ESPNU on Thursday to start the American Athletic Conference basketball somewhere in the yes. Building. Keep your eye out for Murph on, on the U. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, talk a little women's basketball. And, uh, boy, a lot of nails being bitten down to the quick uh, this week for UCF Women's Hoops. We'll talk about why in a second. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Follow us at uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, where uh, you would have been uh, updated on uh, UCF women's basketball. So uh, they were in the uh, they were at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut for the tournament, made it to the semis, faced a Cincinnati team that they had beaten most recently in uh, there's your word again, Murph Rock fight. Uh, split the regular season meeting. Of course, the time they lost up at Cincinnati was back in mid January, but faced Cincinnati. Had a 13-point lead in the third quarter in this game. And then Cincinnati ripped off a 22-1 run and then held off UCF down the stretch to knock the Knights out of the tournament, 57-51. to This is after UCF, by the way, beat Wichita State for the second consecutive game um, by 30-plus. They beat them by 33 points um, in their opening game. So the next day, they faced the, the Knights as the two-seed lose to the three-seed. And uh, now suddenly, obviously Cincinnati gets bombed by UConn in the final. Um, and now suddenly UCF is in deep trouble in terms of getting uh, their uh, an NCAA at-large bid. Had they gotten to the final to face UConn, I think it probably would have been a lock. But as of right this instant, on Tuesday night, I'm looking at Charlie Cream's women's basketball bracketology. Uh, he has UCF as one of the first four out as of this morning, uh, along with BC, Bradley, and St. John's. Interestingly enough, uh, two teams in uh, Conference USA are among their competitors for the, in the on the bubble in the last four in Old Dominion, Western Kentucky, uh, along with James Madison and Tennessee as one of the last four in. Eric Lopez. It's not looking good, is it? No, no, it's not. That's uh, that second half is going to be one that's going to sting because uh, that was a bizarre game. First of all, they're up 
13 at 15 at one point, up 13 at one point, and seemed to have control of the game and scored three points in the third quarter. It struggled and uh, just couldn't get anything. I think he got scored 32 to 13 at one stretch in the second half. And now you got to wait and see until the selection show, which is Monday night. And the problem is you're done. Like you're pretty much sitting home and, you know, you already, there was already a bid that was stolen in the West Coast Conference. Gonzaga was upset. And so there's going to be a two-bid league for the West Coast. So there goes one bid. And you got conferences like Conference USA that could have up to three to four teams into the field, depending on what happens. Uh, you got, you know, the situation in the Missouri Valley where Bradley trying to play themselves into the NCAA tournament. They're playing this week. Then you got the MAC tournament where – Central Michigan, which is UCF's marquee win on their resume, if they don't win the MAC tournament, that steals a bid. So uh, not good times right now, and that's the problem, is other teams can improve their situation, and UCF's kind of stuck there. You know, and the good news for them is they got a great schedule strength, 26 in the country, which is better than almost pretty much everybody in the bubble. But the problem is... uh, they don't have any marquee wins. And this is where your theory of math fails because UCF got screwed by math this week. They played Wichita State, you mentioned, and got destroyed. That actually was the worst thing that could have happened was playing Wichita State. They would have been better off for, uh, not playing that game because they actually dropped in Charlie Creams after that win. That's how bad Wichita State is because they're in the hundreds and I don't know what their rankings are in the RPI. And so as a result, you lose to Cincinnati – that doesn't help your cause either. Now, Cincinnati's up by quietly at 59 in the RPI. So now you can argue that Cincinnati is in your competition for that at-large spot. And they beat you two out of three. So it just got a lot messier for UCF. Um, and I think you have to root for chalk pretty much this week for everybody that's supposed to win to win. Some of those bubble teams like Western Kentucky maybe to get bounced early or Old Dominion get bounced early and hope you can sneak in that way but it's going to be tight you're going to be either one of the last you're either going to be probably you see it's probably going to be either the last team in or it's going to be one of the first teams out and that is a tough feeling to go through because it's it's going to be close one way or the other there is no like well you know we weren't going to make it anyway no no that's it's going to be close and if they don't make it they're going to think back to what the heck happened in that second half against cincinnati here's what i'm looking at here all right, I'm looking at Cream's bracketology here, and Charlie does a good job. James Madison's RPI is 30. Western Kentucky's is 28. Uh, Old Dominion is 33. UCF is 37. All right, and then I see one of the other teams he's got going in there is Tennessee, and Tennessee is 64th. All right. They just got beat by Kentucky by 21 points on Friday in the 3-6 game uh, and got bounced out of the SEC tournament. How is it that UCF with an RPI at thir- with an RPI at 30 in the in the 30s is getting passed over by a Tennessee team with an RPI in the 60s? That's a real simple answer. You know how many times Tennessee's missed the women's NCAA tournament? Ever? Probably close to zero. Yeah. That's correct. So what? Zero. So what? So what? No, that no, in this sport that matters. 
Okay, that's okay. See, here's the here's the thing people don't get. Everybody wants to get on football's case about this. It's a lot worse in other sports like women's basketball. Trust me. Tennessee got in last year when they shouldn't have gotten in. That's how this sport operates, especially women's sports. They're ten times worse because they just depend on the brand. Now, Tennessee would argue they played. Now, you haven't read what they did. They played in the SEC conference and won some games. But that's what they're going to get them in for because they have marquee wins through the SEC. So regardless of the – it's like Boston College. I'm surprised you didn't ask me about Boston College. The reason he has Boston College ahead of UCF is because they beat Duke and Florida State, which is better than a Central Michigan win. So here's the problem here. You're depending on the RPI, and that's not the end-all, be-all. If it was, then men's basketball would still be using that. So, yeah, I'm sorry to break it to you. Tennessee's going to get in more than likely because they're Tennessee, and that's a brand, and that brings view eyeballs to women's basketball. Hmm. I don't know, man. As that's just, you know, how I feel about that. Something's rotten in Denmark. Um, because if, yeah, I mean, I and, and you know, I get it. I, I I get it. But you know, I, I understand UCF's UCF fans when they look at that and they say that's that's BS. You know, how? I mean, aren't we? Aren't aren't which team is more deserving to get in? Brands aside, like if you, it's like, kind of like if you. If you show Team A's resume and Team B's resume, you know, and you don't, and you don't have, and you don't have any idea what the brands are, you know, that's. I mean, I don't blame UCF for if they get passed over by Tennessee for being pretty sour about it. I don't think UCF. I think UCF knows better than that. Hey, we're not. You're not competing against Tennessee in that situation. Well, it happens to be that they are in this case. But anyway, um, up or down vote? Does UCF get in or not? I'm going to go down vote on UCF women's basketball, but I'm going to go up vote on Jeff's use of Hamlet. Okay. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. I've been known to I've been known to, you know, use Shakespeare by accident on occasion. Uh Eric, what about you? Yeah, Tennessee's best win is LSU. Actually, they're 1 in 10. Yeah, if they weren't Tennessee, we wouldn't get in, but they are. So that's life. I mean, yeah. get over so get over it. I mean, that's that just proves again College football ain't the only sport. In fact, it's far worse than other sports. No, I don't think they're going to get in. Uh, I think the problem they're going to have is they don't have a marquee win that jumps out. Like Central Michigan is not one that's going to you know, blow away. The pollsters, and they're not the clear-cut second-best team like they were last year in the American. I think those are the reasons why they're going to get kicked out. Uh, if you're an optimist like me, um, which— When are you an optimist? Yeah. Wait a minute. When everyone Mr. else is, I'm gonna panic when, when we're playing. No, when everyone else is, like, I'm a, I'm more of a contrarian. When every, everyone else is an optimist, I'm a pessimist, and vice versa. Uh, which games know. and which teams do do UCF have to root for here uh, in this final championship week if they want to get in? I know that's a, I know that's a lot, but they got to root for Central Bobby. Michigan, obviously, to win the MAC. Win for yeah, Central Michigan to win. Uh, you would prefer Rice to win the league and prefer ODU, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, all those teams to get bounced early, mm-hmm. uh, preferably, or at least That's one That's in of Conference them USA, USA, right? Yep, yep. Uh, I think you need to root for Missouri State or Drake and not Bradley. You don't need Bradley to make a run to the final, for example. Uh, you also would need to root for, well, I mean, it would be great if James Madison got bounced early in the Colonial and have Drexel win. You don't want a third team to win that. That's for sure, because the problem is I think UCF's not going to get in over James Madison because of the head-to-head. James Madison beat them 
without KK, but they beat yeah. him on the, in the resume, and they have a better RPI right now. Beat him so, by three points, 46-43 back on December the 1st in, in Virginia, by the way, without KK Wright. Yeah, that's going to be the, the that's going to sting a little bit. Um, so I, I that's going to be how close this is. I think if they have a puncher shot, I wouldn't dismiss it. I mean, you, they're going to certainly watch the show, but yeah, you're going to need some of these results to go your favor. You don't want this to come down to Tennessee against Tennessee. You're not going to win that battle, whether you like it or not. Tennessee's going to get in on the brand name, their their league, which is the fourth strongest league, and they're you know that's just life. So unfortunately. If they would have just taken care of the second half against Cincinnati, we probably would not be in this situation. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on it. Worst case scenario, women's NIT probably for UCF. But, again, we'll have to keep you posted on that one. Selection Monday for the women uh, on uh, so March the 16th. So because in some ways this was a successful year considering all the new faces you had on the yeah. team and kind of re- you know rebuild – on the fly, but yet it's going to have a bad taste in your mouth if you don't make the tournament because you were that close with KK having a great year. Um, that's going to sting a little bit, and uh, you know that's the unfortunate part about it. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Hopefully, they sneak in, but I wouldn't bet money on it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back. We'll talk baseball. We'll talk softball. One team is uh, at home. The other team is way out in California. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. All right. We're back here on the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy. We're here to talk baseball and softball. All right. Um, chiefly among all these is the rankings. And wow, UCF baseball just continues to just shoot up the rankings. Now, they're, 12 is the magic number, isn't it, Brian Murphy? That's where they seem to be ranked everywhere. Yeah, uh, it's uh, moving up a couple spots and a bunch of polls this week up to 12 after a weekend in which they swept Butler and allowed two runs in over three games. <laughs> not bad, right? I mean, because Butler's a pretty good team, are they not? They were not bad. I mean, they were, I believe, seven and three coming in. Uh, they were not bad. And, and, and really, they were comp- it was a competitive series. It wasn't like UCF crushed them. They, uh, they didn't score many runs, but, you know, UCF's pitching was just that much better. I know that it's it's still way early on this for both baseball and softball, but I just would like to point out that UCF baseball is number nine in the RPI. Uh, Wednesday, they play Miami, who's uh, ranked consensus fifth, and they have an RPI of 12. Obviously, Greg Lovelady's uh, alma mater. What are we looking for in this game against the Canes? Uh, it, what, do we, what should we expect from them and... What does UCF's shot look like here? Uh, they definitely have a shot. I mean, I'm, I'm done doubting what this team can do. I did not see them getting off to a 15-2 and two start, including a sweep of Auburn. If I had seen that coming, I probably would have chosen a Thursday morning flight out to Dallas, out to Fort Worth, <laughs> and not a Wednesday night flight out to Fort Worth, in which case I could have stayed behind to see this game, but I can't because I'm on a plane. Um, what we, what we hope to see is more of this just stupendous pitching that the Knights have thrown out. It doesn't matter who's out there, really. They have a 212 uh, team ERA, ninth best in the nation, and they're going to throw Jalen Whitehead uh, to start game to start the game against the Canes on Wednesday. Jalen, uh, a senior who I believe has a .55 ERA, is that uh, is good? 
<laughs> it's not bad. He's given up two hits in his last 11 and two-thirds innings with no runs. Uh, and then, you know, the, what's interesting for this game, something to watch, UCF is going to throw a ton of lefties. They're going to throw basically, I think, every lefty they've got, which basically means they're going to throw Whitehead, then they're going to probably follow him with Hunter Pattison, who we've seen start games this year and come in long relief. Then you'll probably see uh, Ryan Salton stall for a couple of batters. And then you might see Nick Catella, the the freshman who has yet to allow a hit in five and a third innings. They're all lefties. Why lefties? Well, that's because uh, Miami's lineup might put out seven left-handers in its starting nine. I believe each of their first four batters in their everyday lineup is all left-handers. And although the, the splits are kind of even, there's one there, there's one department in which they do not do as well. Uh, home runs. They have 15 home runs as a team. Only one of them have come against lefties and 134 at bats. So well, no wonder. Try, <laughs> yes, so you try to take away some of their power, and hopefully UCF's offense had scored enough runs. Up next after that Miami game is a three-game set with uh, with Yale. The scheduled series is Friday at six, Saturday at six, Sunday at one. As usual, UCF against Yale. Um, at uh, John Uliana Park, and obviously, of course, the Miami game March uh, uh, on Wednesday, March 11th well, at 6 p.m. Right, right. With respect to yeah, who cares? Um, this is <laughs> this is a big stretch. No, I mean, who cares? Like, with all respect. due respect, with all due with all respect, respect, you don't matter. <laughs> you don't no, you don't matter here, Murph. In this regard, Murph, starting Wednesday night with Miami, this is a fascinating next seven to ten days for this team with Miami in a midweek, Yale, whatever. Florida State comes in yep. for two games next Tuesday and Wednesday. They just beat Florida on Tuesday night under with Mike Martin Jr. up and uh, they beat him on a midweek game. And then East Carolina comes in to start American Conference play. And you know, uh, Jeff mentioned UCF where they were in the RPI. East Carolina, I believe, is in the top ten in the RPI as well. That is looking like a showdown. But this is again put aside that weekend. Miami, Florida State, East Carolina here in the next week and a half. Yeah. No, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to learn a ton about this team uh, over those next 10 days. I'm really interested to see how UCF manages their pitching staff against Florida State with two midweek games. You know, usually, you know, this is why UCF did those those two early double headers because they don't want they want to have fewer midweek games going forward. They want to have fewer, you know, two game midweeks going forward. Well, this is not only two games in the midweek, but they're two huge games before possibly meeting East Carolina in what could be a AAC tournament championship preview. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see how Lovelady juggles all his pitchers for these five games in six days. Yeah, it's going to be big. It's going to be a big spot. And uh, what we've seen him, we've seen Greg Lovelady really master the art of shortening the game, haven't we, so far this season, right, Murph? This bullpen is phenomenal. Uh, I mentioned Whitehead, he can also come out of the bullpen – but I mean, I mean, Jack Sinclair is is great. David Litchfield is nails. He, he might he might get into jams, but he always seems to get out of them. I mentioned Nick Attila. Nick Attila has not allowed a hit in five and a third innings. Ryan Solenstall has been good as just a lefty specialist. You know, the old loogie guy, left-handed one-outer guy. Uh, and and but most of all, Jeffrey Hagenson, the closer. Guys, Jeffrey Hagenson has six saves, which is tied for first in the nation, which is fine. What's even more impressive is Jeffrey Hankinson has faced 26 batters. He has retired 24 of them, and he has struck out 
20 of them. That's amazing when you really sit down and think about that. <laughs> he's actually retired at 25, but still, he struck out 20 of 26 batters this year. I, 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 I It's hard to comprehend. Man, that's... Is he Bryce Tucker? Is he Bryce Tucker, Murph, 2020 here? I remember, you know, before this season, we had our season preview with Greg, and he talked about, well, we don't have a Bryce Tucker or a Thad Ward on this staff, but what we do have is a ton of depth. Well, is Jeffrey maybe taking that next step to say, no, we do have a Bryce Tucker type here on this team right yeah. now? Yeah, we do. And and Bryce Tucker didn't throw 96. Um, I mean, Bryce yeah. had a lot of movement and threw pretty hard, but didn't throw 96. And you front him with Sinclair as your bridge, and he can go two innings, and he throws 98 with a really sharp slider. Both of them have developed really sharp breaking pitches, which is really tough to adjust to at the college level. That's why they've been so successful. Um, but, no, I mean, this is what Love Ladies MO has been since he got here in 2017. It's the shortened games. Hope your starters can go six innings or so and then turn it over to the bullpen. They've done that uh, with almost perfection so far this year. But with five games coming up next week, uh, and those five, they're five huge games. They're really, they're, they're just massive RPI wins if you can get them. How is Love Lady going to juggle all of this? Yeah. By the way, one little, one last little superlative I want to put out there. Jeffrey Pena, second in the nation in stolen bases with 13 behind Notre Dame's Spencer Myers. So they're doing it on the base pass, they're doing it on the hill. Is looking real good right now. This is a big stretch, like you said, Murph. All right, Eric Lopez, let's talk softball. All right, Knights are out in California. Had that big week. They were uh, number seven in the first NCAA softball RPI. But I know you like to say, don't pay attention to the RPI right now because it's all messed up. Okay, fine. But right now they're 25 and one. Uh, 20 wins, five losses, one tie. Uh, they, uh, you know, after the loss to uh, Florida State, the eight to three loss um, last Wednesday, they go out to, uh, out to California, out to Long Beach in L.A., beat Michigan, number sixteen in the country, three to two, go step for step with number one UCLA, lose that game four to two. They lost to Fullerton seven to two, but that, since then they've won. They beat Long Beach, they beat San Diego State, and then they tied Minnesota which I know you're probably going to want to riff on about this, in the ninth inning because of travel issues, 5-5 was the score. They actually came back to force extras in that one. And then uh, whacked Murph's other alma mater, CSUN, 7 to nothing. Uh, they're actually playing right now as we speak against Cal State Fullerton. Um, but And that will wrap their California trip. They come back, uh, they play Ole Miss this weekend, in Oxford on the way back from California uh, before starting conference play next weekend. But I would say so far, this is a pretty successful trip out west, wouldn't you? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, it's been really good. You go 1-0-1 against the two best teams in the Big Ten. They're ranked in the top 25. You beat Michigan. Uh, that was significant. You played UCLA very well. You win at Long Beach, and then you tie Minnesota. Obviously, that was quirky. Minnesota had a flight to go to Hawaii. Um, inexplicably, they played the top of the ninth. Uh, the drop dead time was 3.15 Pacific. They played the top of the ninth at 3.05. And then they said, oh, yeah, never mind. Doesn't count. So, which is really like, why would you play the top of the ninth? I mean, you're not going to get in today's day and age. You're not going to get a full inning 
of softball in 10 minutes, especially an international rule ninth inning. In fact, Murph, make a note as one of the saviors of baseball. Don't ever make sure that Major League Baseball never puts the run rule until like, you know, the 20th inning. Because contrary to what people think, the international rule does not speed up the game. Yes, it speeds up from a scoring standpoint, but what has happened now is teams use pinch hitters, they use all these different things, and they stall anyway. So it drags time, and that's what happened in that game. Why Minnesota didn't play the first game against UCF when UCF beat San Diego State the first game of the day. And I don't Jeff, you missed this. Uh, last week, Murph played our uh, MapQuest guy in California. It was a fun segment, one of the most popular segments ever, at least for me. Um, Driving up the PCH, baby. That's what we're doing. Murph, help me out, but isn't San Diego a pretty drivable distance from Long Beach? Yeah, it's only like an hour and a half. It's fine. Yes, and yet only in softball. Yeah, it's only an hour and a half, and it's it's like five miles away, right, Murph? (laughs) No, it's like a real hour and a half, Jeffrey. I I will not have you besmirch my home state. (laughs) Anyway, carry on. The tournament had UCF play San Diego State first in the morning, then UCF played Minnesota, even though Minnesota had a flight. Go figure. Uh, The good news is I've talked to people that study the RPI. UCF's not going to be hurt by that. If anything, a slight boost based on the fact that you're going to have a top 25, you know, team that you played on your schedule, you know, so that's going to help. So, no, look, this has been a successful trip so far to this point. They obviously go to Ole Miss. If you can win the Ole Miss series, it's a massive success for this team on this trip right in time to start conference play the following weekend at Wichita State, and then they finally will get to come home. But, you know, you mentioned, yes, the RPI is too early. It's very volatile. Teams will make big spikes up and down in the next few weeks. I tend to believe the RPI settles down right around April, maybe the end of March. But I will say this, having UCF at number seven in the first RPI is a great sign because you're putting yourself in position to make the tournament. Remember, this team, this program hasn't made the tournament since 2016. I don't want to get into about hosting and all that stuff. That's way too early for that. But I will say, and I'll say the same thing for baseball, uh, it's early, but at least being in the top 10 RPIs is a good start on a track to possibly being an NCAA tournament team, which is the goal for both sides. Ole Miss is really struggling this year, by the way. They start they started at uh, SEC play at Mizzou and managed to score only three runs in three games. Um how much of this will how much let's if UCF is even able to get you know two out of three there it's still an SEC team they're talented they're tough um how much would that help UCF realistically oh it helps I mean you'd be an SEC team that just adds on the road adds to the resume I mean it's not gonna be as quality as the Tennessee two wins but it's quality and that that's you know that's why they're gonna have a very tough schedule uh strength schedule here for UCF and coach Paul has done a nice job of that and I think their team has responded you know the Michigan game you can make a claim that UCF's the Big Ten champs. They beat the two best teams in the Big Ten who are probably going to win the Big Ten title. And that is that does matter uh, from a resume standpoint. I mean, that was a, an amazing game, the Michigan game, going extra innings. Denali Schapacher ties the game up with two out, with, uh, to tie the game at two. Steals second, takes third on, a, on the throw, and then scores on a wild pitch to give them that victory. That was a huge victory because they were playing Clutch Michigan win. and UCF. They're playing UCLA right after that. Yeah. Because UCLA decided, hey, we want you to play Michigan first, then we'll play you. It's like the it's like the old WWE gauntlet match there, Murph, where the challenger gets a shot at the champ, but he's all exhausted and the champ's like, All right, here's your title match right now. What? I like I like, <laughs> I, like I like where your head's at. I like where your head's at, Eric. I appreciate <laughs> well, that's not it. What UCF, 
that yeah, that's what UCF had to go through with Michigan and UCLA. Played very well to get a split and gave UCLA a good game. So I think it's been nothing but positives in this for this trip. Obviously, as we record, they got Fullerton on Wednesday night. That's a really good Fullerton team that's going to win the Big West. Um, and then they go to Ole Miss. And if they can, like I said, if they can go right now, they're what four, two, and one. If they can end up going somehow six. Four and one, I I take it. I would have taken it before the tournament. Uh, the, this trip started. So, do they uh, do they really factor that in with with all that? I mean, it, just the fact that they're on the road for all that. It, it, do, do they real the, would well, the committee a, later on really factor that in? Yes, and more importantly, the RPI does because in softball, the RPI, lots of co teams, you get more bonuses for playing quote unquote neutral games and road games than you do at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the reasons why a lot of softball teams play, quote-unquote, off-campus to get those bonus RPI formula. Cause, and it's too complicated to explain. But, yeah, um, you know, Ken Erickson, who is the, is the longtime South Florida head coach for many years, has hosted multiple tournaments in Clearwater. Why? It's off-campus. It's an, it counts as a neutral site game for them. So they get more bonus points than do a home game. And I think UCF is benefiting from that this year as well playing all these games on the road and in a neutral field. So, okay. All right. So, for softball and basketball. Basketball plays a lot of neutral court tournaments for that reason. So, yeah, I think it is very important. It's very significant. And that will look positive when the resu- uh, the committee looks at their resume for sure. All right. So we'll be keeping an eye on what they do against Cal State uh, Fullerton. Uh, by the way, Ful- uh, where's Fullerton? Murph? Uh, Murph? It- <laughs> Why me? Uh, it's California expert. Yeah, I know. No, it's out. It's out east. It's like uh, it's like well, it's it's like it's like southeast of Los Angeles. Oh wow! It's over by. Okay, I just looked it up. It's over by like Anaheim. Yeah. 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 Okay. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought it was. I thought for some reason I thought it was further away than that. I didn't realize it was like really in kind of kind of the la area but more like orange county okay right. why well, def- well, oh, defer we- to murph or any any california traveling question. so we're by the la brea tar pits i i uh i i've only been to fullerton for a couple of times but they were both for ncaa regionals back when kurt suzuki was playing for fullerton there you go Ooh. i remember my first first college baseball game i ever watched was the college world series championship between cal state fullerton and pepperdine i think it was 1993 but I mean, like a Mark Kotze Fullerton too, but isn't Yeah, it was Mark Kotze. That's right. So, all right. Oh, hey, Murph, softball took care of CSUN 7 nothing. Just took care of business Monday night, man. So, Matadors. That's four out of five. UCF over the Matadors. It's tough. <laughs> Ole. Yeah. Ole forever. <laughs> I heard the facilities for softball for the Matadors, not the best. Just <laughs> <laughs> putting it out there. All right. Uh, Speaking as someone who's an alum, I wanted you to uh, be aware of that. All right, thanks. <laughs> so, uh, as we wrap up here, <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> excuse me, we'll have uh, picks for the. By the way, did you guys get your picks in for the American uh, basketball tournament? We got our new friends that were that are helping us out with picks. We're trying it out for basketball, and then we're going to do a lot more of it come football from Tally Site. Um, they're sort of helping us out with some of the graphical interfaces on this, so we want to thank them real quick on our podcast. Have you guys gotten your picks in on that yet? I have not. I gotta do this. Come on, man. Let's get let's get on it here, Murph. Oh God. You too, Lopez. Let's go. We gotta crank this up here. What, uh, Eric? What do you got coming up for us? 
great question. I don't know. <laughs> We're just going to be locked in on basketball. Watch, you know, following the women's yeah. team, following the women's team, see how their picture looks the rest of the week. I'm it's going to be looking for Murph on TV on the basketball yep. side and following, obviously, baseball and softball. I mean, that's very big. Is there all a softball on the road and baseball, obviously, with the big Miami game and then beyond that and. Uh, so, you know, and just kind of just go from there. And then, you know, we'll have a selection Sunday show to see Sunday. And hopefully uh, it will be a fun conference tournament to follow here in Fort Worth. Now, Eric, yeah. uh, you and I are going to be busy this weekend, aren't we? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that that's the plan. Uh, yeah, I'll be on the call for baseball on Friday. Scheduled, yep. so, uh, and so and I will be on the call on uh, on Saturday. Uh, Saturdays for the Saturday game is 6 p.m. Uh, our thanks to... Uh, Mark Daniels also for allowing us to keep his uh, seat warm in the press box uh, while he is out in uh, while he is out in Fort Worth. Uh, Murph, you're going to be traveling out to Fort Worth yourself. When are you headed out? My flight leaves Wednesday night, probably near the tail end of the UCF Miami game, wow. which I'll watch most from the airport via Twitch. Oh, this gosh. is going to be dramatic! Wow, watching baseball from the sky. I mean, this yeah. is, what a what a mar- what a marvel of my yeah. Well, you got Wi-Fi on the plane, right? Yeah. Well, I got a well. It's a long story, but I got to hope my device actually connects to the Wi-Fi. But having some issues with that. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, this is this is very like journo inside that no one cares about. But I've written some stories in the last week that have fully been written through audio texting on my phone. Oh, I, okay. You went up to me because I actually wrote a story completely on my phone while I was on vacation, and I consider that a real badge of honor. You never really yeah, actually are I able to do anything until you. I was also on deadline. Yeah. It really, it really sucks. But for some reason, my device has decided not to connect to Wi Fi's anymore, especially on UCF's campus. All of a sudden, it's crazy. this seems to, really? this seems anyway, to be a very important thing. You know, you think. Anyway, I'm going to be in Fort Worth for as long as they're playing basketball. I, I Yes, UCF could lose Thursday, and and then you might ask why I'm not back, at, you know, for baseball on Friday or Saturday. Well, that's because, one, I can't plan my trips like that. I can't plan to assume that UCF is going to be one and done. And secondly, even if they are one and done, I don't want to come back. I want to stay for the God tournament. I was cursed. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm just gonna stay out there for like four days. Probably eat a lot of free food and have a good time. So you're really, so you're really staying out there the whole time. You, you, even if UCF loses, you're coming back, right? I mean, you obviously don't remember what happened last year when UCF came in as the four seed and then got whipped by Memphis in the first round of the tournament. And then it was like, all right, they're one and done. Well, I was booked through Sunday, so who cares? I'm going to stay here. <laughs> so, yes, I'll be in Fort Worth the entire way. But, look, it won't be that bad. We've got Twitch now. We have Twitch. It's, it's on my Twitch. Life is good. Head Twitch. Yeah, life is good. All right. Uh, we do have plenty, of course, to follow here at uh, Black and Gold Banner. Follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and, and always, as always on Twitter at uh, UCF underscore banner. You can always follow us individually uh, at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, and Spokes underscore uh, Murphy. So we we will have a busy week and weekend coming up uh, as we follow basketball, as we follow baseball, as we follow softball in this uh, busy, busy time here at, uh, at Black and Gold Banneret. So for 
all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret. I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>